0: Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 1, Episode 8, Romans 1 and Sexual Sin, Romans 1, 21-27. In this episode of Romans Untangled, we are going to look primarily at one question, and that question is, what is up with Paul talking about sexual issues right off the bat here in Romans chapter 1? Hey everyone, this is Pastor Steve Tricler of Hope Community Church from Minneapolis. Uh, <laughs> I love when people say that. Cannot pronounce our lovely city's name. But no, seriously, we are glad to be back with you and I hope you're doing well. Each time now, we've been starting our episode by kind of giving you some new tools on how to study scripture. We've looked at things like versions of the Bible and connecting words and how do we read the Bible? You know, we kind of read it backwards looking as Jesus is the answer. We've looked at the issue of commentaries, how to use commentaries, what's a good commentary. Uh, This week, I want to hit on something about words. And I know that might sound silly because all of the scripture is just words, but I want to kind of go into how do we understand words uh, in scripture and how do we study them. And what I mean by this is you know definitions of those words, the meaning they might have, uh, the history, uh, how the translations got us where we are, how what are the importance of context. So let me give you some some key ways of going about this. So first of all, I just want to talk about the issue of repeated words. It, when a, when an author, especially an author in scripture, is using a word over and over and over, that's a good indication that we have uh, some type of word that, yeah, they really want to hone in on. And so we will be looking at that issue uh, even today in our, in our study of Romans chapter one. And so it's really important that you get the idea of looking for repeated words. Then, uh, we just want to look at what the definition of the word is, and and and, and simply put, uh, if you really wanted to do some Bible study, can we for, for word study, we look at more literal translations of Scripture, like New American Standard, or the um, uh, ESV, the English Standard Versions, or there's other ones that would be more of a literal word-for-word uh, philosophy of how they appropriate Scripture, and we just want to look at the words that they use in English. And I know that sounds silly, but because the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written the New Testament in Greek and the Old Testament in Hebrew, mostly some Aramaic. And so uh, we 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 just want to understand what even the English word means, so we understand how the translators what they were thinking. But then uh, there's going to come a time where you're just going to say, you know what, I really want to dive into the Greek word. And so what what I want to give you just a little bit of of an understanding of, of how to do that. So I encourage you to use a simple tool online called the Blue Letter, Letter Bible. And you can just go, if you go to that website, you can just go. It says, give me the, the verse of the word. And we're just going to type in one. We all know John 3, 16. And I want to look at it because I want to look at it in a literal way. I want to look at it with the NASB, and then it's going to say twenty or ninety-five. The twenty is the updated version, so that's the one we want. It was done in 2020, so we're going to click and we're just going to hit the green search bar, and then it's going to give uh, uh, John 3:16 in that particular uh, uh, John 3:16 in that particular version, and so then we can make sure to use a colon. It'll give it in its context it will show the verses afterwards, and if you want, you can click around, and it just says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Again, one of the most famous verses in all the scripture. Okay, that's great. That's a good tool. We can get to where we want. But let's just say we want to understand a word better. And that's one of the great things about doing Bible study is you just say, I want to do a Bible study on on just a, the word world, say for instance. And you might think, well, I know what the word world means. I mean, of course I do, but but you know, you, you might be surprised here. So let's just look that up. Go back to the beginning. Go in the search the Bible. Search the Bible and just go world and then say NASB 20. Hit the green search bar. And you're gonna get up all these, it's gonna occur 245 times in 210 verses it says here in the New American Standard. Now, across the top, you'll see four four different tabs. And one of those, it says lexicon. Okay, that's a little bit tricky because lexicon is a word that really means like dictionary. But they have another tab that says dictionary. And dictionaries really aren't dictionaries. They're a little bit more of commentary. Dictionaries are lexicons is really the word, and maybe use that word growing up. I sure didn't. But lexicon is the word when you do Bible study. That's the word we're looking for. If we click on that word, we see now the Hebrew word. Again, I don't know Hebrew, but I can see those different squiggles there. And interestingly enough, it reads right to left. So again, I don't know a single letter, but it, it does that. And then there's Greek, and I have learned Greek when I was in seminary, and so I can look at the Greek words. Okay, and so I can see the different word that is going on here, and I can Then I can go to that word and I can see what is happening uh, in uh, those different contexts, those different words. The word that we were looking up here is cosmos. Uh, and that's g two two eight eight nine. That's a Strong's number, and Strong's is an okay lexicon. It's probably not your best, but it's not terrible, and you just click on that, and it'll give you a little bit of the different meanings, and so you have seven different, if you look at here, Outline of Biblical Use, it gives you seven different possibilities, so that leaves us still a little bit. We can do more reading from Strong's definitions, and we can do Thayer's Greek lexicon. These are all the free resources you can find out there, and that's all well and good, and that's a good way to start. You kind of get an idea, and you can see the basic range of meanings of the word "world" in the Greek New Testament. Okay, that's good. But what we really want to do is, well, I want to know what the word "world" meant—not just in general, but what does the word "world" mean when Jesus says, "For God so loved the world." What, what exactly is He's talking about? So again, I'm going to go to the very beginning. I'm going to type in the word "world," and I'm going again, I'm going to type in uh, the NASB twenty the little green bar. And this time, it's going to give me that whole thing. But I want to go over here. This button. It says advanced options. And I want to this time, it says search a predefined list. And I don't want to search the whole Bible. This time, I just want to see what John says. What does John say in all of his writings? Now, we believe that John wrote the the uh, Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and, and even though it's a little bit debated, but most scholars would agree that John probably wrote the book of Revelation as well. And so we would just go down here, and again, theologians love to say things in fancier ways, but it says, Johannian. Uh, writings, and so we just would would say that. And instead of saying Paul's epistles, it says Pauline. That's just fancy way. Johannian just means John's writings. We'd click on that, and then we'd do our search again. Hit the little hit the little uh, bar again. This time we're going to see it, it occurs 107 times in 80 verses. Now, what of course is most important is how does John use that word? And context is key here, right? The first thing that's most important is write the immediate context that we find in John chapter three, and we're finding out that it's used three times in John chapter three. It's used in John three sixteen, then it's used in John three seventeen and nineteen. They say, "For God did not send the Son did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him." And then you go to John three nineteen. It says, "And this is the judgment." that the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Then we'd go, how, you know, if you're just reading a book, if you're just reading something, you'd go left to right, right? And so you'd say, well, how did he use it previously in that same book? So by the time we get to John chapter three, we've already been clued in a little bit about what the meaning of this word is. And so in John chapter one, it's listed three times, okay? But two of which are most important, uh, Verse 9 and 10, it says, this was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. And it says, he was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. You go to the end of John chapter one, it's talking about John the Baptist. And he says, the next day, he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you're gonna, there's there's 107 verses here to look at, just John loves to use the word world, and it's really, really important. But if you just wanna look at some of the ways that John, I'm gonna highlight one here just for the sake of time. But John says in one of his letters, 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, he says this. He says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone love the loves the world the love of the Father is not in him. Now, what neck what in the world can that possibly mean? Because we just got done reading that for God so loved the world that he gave his one only begotten Son, right? And so, what? Then he goes on to explain in verse 16, for all that is in the world, and he explains it. There are three things he talks about. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So, Oftentimes, the world can just be, of course, this globe we live on, but sometimes, and John especially loves to use the word world to describe that part of us that is actually resistant against God, the kind that rejects him, the kind when Jesus came said, no, that's not, we're not. The world was made through through him, the, the cosmos and the, the globe and all the people and everything, and yet the world did not recognize him. In other words, the worldliness In that context, then, John 3.16 takes a whole new light, right? For God so loved that part of the created order that even though God made it, completely rejected him, was continually slapping him that he sent his only son. That is so fun. To just do a simple little word study and see how that becomes alive. So every time we'll try to do a little thing about uh, some type of Bible study. Um, you know we've looked at different things in the past. One of which was the outline of Romans. Uh, we talked about just having an introduction, then the theme of Romans, Romans uh, sixteen and Romans one sixteen and seventeen, and we'll be reading that every uh, episode here for a little bit. And then we're going to talk about it two things from verse eighteen in chapter one all the way through chapter eleven. It's going to be what we call the Gospel explained, and then the Gospel lived will be chapters twelve. Through the middle of thirteen, and then it's just a conclusion from the middle of, of, of fifteen to the end of sixteen, and there's a lot of great stuff in there. But it's he's 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 kind of done with his main main point. So we are right now still in a uh, really a four part series, and I'm going to even tell you today it's going to be a five part series that we are looking at Romans chapter one verses eighteen to thirty two. We looked at the whole the whole chunk of it in the first time, kind of got an overview. Then last week, we looked at what is really the definition of sin, and I'll come back to that this week. But this week, we want to hone in on the idea of what is going on here when Paul looks at Romans 1 and sexuality, and especially he looks at homosexuality. So in just studying this this week, getting ready for it, I have decided that there is no way that I can cover what I want to cover. On this passage, in the allotted time that I have, which I'm trying to keep all these episodes to right around 30 minutes uh, long, and so there's no way. And part of the reason is is because the issue of sexuality, uh, a a lot of different issues, but especially in homosexuality. uh, And I know that's that's one of many issues, but we can start there. That's where this passage starts. They're complicated, and complicated questions have. Complicated answers. They have good answers in Scripture, but they're not easy. They're not. They can't fit on a, a placard or a you know. On a, it just takes a little bit of time to unpack it. And so, what I've decided to do, and and I was talking the, with the the guy who runs my podcast here, Nolan Bauer. A little shout out to him there. He said, you know, from time to time, if you ever want to, you can just do bonus episodes. So I'm going to do a bonus episode. Uh, and and bonus episode is a way of saying. It's going to be longer. I'm not even going to tell you exactly. I've been I've been working on it already, and I think it's honing in right around an hour. And, uh, you know, so we'll just see about that. So I'm going to come back to this. This week, though, I want to hit on the issue, why does Paul even bring it up? Next time I want to deal with in a bonus episode is how do we, as people who live, you know, roughly 2,000 years from the time when this was written— and there's a lot that has happened. We live in a very different culture now uh we We want to be people of understanding of truth and yet of love and compassion and care how 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 are we engaged in the ministry that brings life and not just condemnation and some of these things and so that it's it's a complicated deal. It's very much in scripture I mean it's not that it's not there. But it's just going to take a little while to unpack, and so that's where we're going to go. Let me remind you of the theme of Romans, uh, and this is immediately what's happening before us. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, "'For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith.'" This week, we're going to look at uh, verses—really, I want to hone in on verses 24 to 27, or or really 21 to 27, or something like that. Uh, But I, I want to read the whole thing again to you, so you see it in context, because context is key to understanding the meaning of these words, and we just talked about that, right? So let me read the whole thing, and I know some of you do this. I know people have been uh, texting me and emailing me, and you can email me if you want to at steve at hopecc.com if you have questions or, or whatever, but they've been saying really love it, but they're doing it as they're driving around, and I realize that. So I'm going to read it all for you. Romans 1, 18 through 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones in the same way the men also committed uh, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error furthermore just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of god so god gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So some of the key things we saw, we looked last week uh, through 18 to 25. If you have a Bible open, that's the best way to do this study. But I understand many of you, and I'm the same way. I podcast when I'm driving, uh, and listen to it in different places when I'm on the move, Um, Uh, We saw there there that the wrath of God is being revealed, it's currently being revealed, and people know about God, not everything, they know about his eternal power, divine nature, but they don't glorify him, they don't give him thanks, and instead they do this exchange. What does this exchange look like? And this is a repeated word. We see this word exchanged all over the place. And it says that they claimed to be, in verse 22, they claimed to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of God for idolatries, for idols, right? So then it says in verse 25, it kind of summarized that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is probably the most important verse in the Bible on what sin is. This is exactly what it is truth of God. You change that, you exchange it, you make a trade, you trade that for the lie, and then you worship and serve creation rather than the creator, right? We trade that we're created to to worship and serve him, and instead we worship and serve creation. This is key to understanding what we're going to be talking about this week, especially as we look at the issue of sexual sin. So with that, let me look at this again with you. And I want to pick it up in verse uh, 26. It says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged. Hear that? There's that word again. There's a trade going on. Now, what's the trade now? The trade here is natural sexual relations, or more literally, this is from the New International Versions, it would be the the natural function or the natural a uh, uh, way of doing things for unnatural ones verse twenty seven in the same way the men also abandoned natural functions natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another okay so this is uh um this is uh, it, you know this is key to understanding why why Paul does this. He's going to say three times this idea of God giving them over, okay? So there's, it's going to happen in verse this again, repeated words. We're looking at this concept. It's repeated over. So what's he getting at? Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust, And that's going to get to where we're at right now. And then he's going to end this chapter by saying this whole list of stuff okay and here's the list he says furthermore just that they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done and then it lists the sins right they're filled with every kind of wickedness evil greed depravity full of envy murder strife deceit malice gossip slanderers god haters insolent arrogant boastful, invent ways of doing evil, disobey parents, no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, right? So there's that whole list. So the question then is, why in the world does Paul look at sexual sin, and particularly, why does he look at the the issue of homosexuality in verses 26 and 27, okay? Now, here's the key to this. You see the word exchange, and they're exchanging something. They're exchanging natural for unnatural. Now, that should ring a bell, right? What happened before? They exchanged the glory of God for idols, right? And then it says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, And then if you just infer this, and it says they exchange the worship and service of the creator for the worship and service of creation, right? So that's what's happening there. All of this is an example of that. So what's going on here? It says they exchange the natural for the unnatural. Maybe that's getting it... Maybe that's something that's uh, 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 going through your mind here a little bit. You're starting to see this a little bit. See, Paul isn't actually making a strong case against homosexuality here. He, that's not his point. He, Paul assumes the people his readers already will see that homosexuality is not the design that God has for sexuality. He, he's assuming that. He's not laying out a case. He's actually saying that if you look at this particular thing, it highlights in a way that he probably could have done masterfully for any sin. But this one in particular, he looks at it and says, this is a clear example of exchanging what ought to be for what ought not to be. Now, so then that brings a question. Okay, so last week we just said all of sin is idolatry, So how is this idolatry? What is being exchanged? And I I want to quote from Richard Longnecker here, and he's going to kind of key into this. He's written a commentary on the book of Romans. He says this. This is from page 218 from his commentary. He says, Likewise important for understanding Paul's rationale in highlighting homosexuality when explicating the connection between idolatry and morality is, that means explaining, excuse me, is the fact that Paul viewed homosexuality as the most obvious result of humanity's failure to respond appropriately to God's revelation in creation. For though it was often asserted by those who practiced it that homosexuality was quote-unquote natural, even, as argued both then and today, a legitimate feature of divine creation Paul viewed such a claim as in direct opposition to the moral order established by God in creation, where only in marriage do a man and a woman become one flesh. Okay, so what's going on here now? And we're going to wrap it up here by kind of landing on this. Why does he pick of all the things he could to illustrate what's happening as sin is becoming more prevalent As people are giving themselves, when I say that, it's because God is is, is not stopping them anymore, right? The giving them over is nothing more than God stopping, stopping you, right? And so they just kind of keep going after this. Why does he pick this issue? And I think it goes into this natural for unnatural, and that links back to creator for creation. In other words... It is saying that man should look to the other, to God, and not to anything like him in the sense of creation, right? That's what it means. We don't look to creation to get filled up. We look to God to get filled up. So as human beings, we should look to God and not creation. And this is where the link is. He says it's exactly the same thing. Instead of man looking to the other woman, it is similar that man is now looking to man and woman to woman. Whereas the idea of man and woman, one of the things that God is doing there is talking about the other. As we open up in the book of Ephesians, we even find out that one of the points of marriage, one of the big points of marriage, is to illustrate God's passion for his people. Right? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The her there being the church. Church is a feminine word. And so there's an illustration here of Christ's love for the church that illustrates husband's love for his wife. In other words, that there's the other going towards one another. And when it goes to sameness, when it goes inside, when it comes back to us, that's what Paul's doing here. Now, that's very important because I think for a lot of people who are followers of Jesus, they tend to look at homosexuality and say, that's a gross, disgusting kind of sin. You, you, you really haven't been listening <laughs> the last few weeks if you, if you think it's just that. All of sin is a gross disgusting ye all of it, every kind of sin. we are looking at a holy God and we are not saying God I want to worship and serve you we are saying something on this earth and you could go right back there jealousy, envy, murder, all these things are gossip right? There are ways that I'm not going to look to God to fill me. I'm going to gossip about someone else so that I can make myself feel better about who I am and I'm going to get my life, I'm going to become functionally my own God and Savior so that I can say about myself that I'm better than other people. Paul could have used anything. Please, don't think that sexual sin somehow is, is worse. However, with that said, uh, there is some uniqueness to sexual sin, and the gospel ethic is a very high sexual ethic, and therefore there is something unique. We'll talk about next week as we look into uh, what what Paul was actually getting after in an, in a bonus episode that I'm calling Truth, Humility, and Homosexuality. and And be prepared, I'm. I'm I'm telling you it's probably going to be about an hour it may take two errands in your car to listen to the whole thing i am hoping to also roll out for those who don't care to listen to the to the uh the bonus episode uh i'm i'm hoping to get out uh you know we look at verse thirty two in this chapter as well which is a phenomenal phenomenal verse which just says although they know god's righteous decree what what was that mean Who are we getting at here? We're going to spend the whole time just talking, excuse me, about that one verse. And I I really, really look forward to that with you next time. So next week, hopefully two episodes. Lord willing, pray for me. It's going to be a busy week, but I think I can get it done. Uh, I really appreciate you all. Man, keep digging into Romans. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.